0: Tommy, if that is in fact your real name, you found your way from the back of the grid <laughs> to join me on Freya's free practice Fridays, of which this is last free practice of the racing year, which I you know a lot of people are pretty relieved about. But welcome, glad you could, glad you could find us.
1: I'm glad to be back. Uh, it's yeah, it's been a long time waiting. I'm just saving myself for the last one. Clearly, I just wanted to be the one that would send us off into the into the summer. Is that right?
0: the (laughs) sunset. I mean, that's an excuse that I won't accept, but I will accept the public apology. Uh, (laughs) So that's all right. But yeah, Yeah, we will be sailing off into the summer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just have to make up for it today. It's fine. Um, We will be sailing off into the summer after this weekend. We'll probably have a bit more content um, over over our Australian summer anyway, um, but as far as race reviews go and kind of talking absolute garbage each weekend, um this is kind of this is kind of it for the twenty twenty-two season. And we'll save highlights for the season um for a season review. So we won't get stuck into that. We'll focus still on our news for this week um and things that have been unplaying, unfolding, unplaying. Love a mix metaphor. unplaying um, <laughs> Over the last week, turns out Should there's someone in the house Garage. I'm adding that
1: one. <laughs> it's
0: definitely on the list. Oh, there's so many. Um, but it turns out that there's someone in the house Garage who doesn't hate Freya and decided to make a decision before I actually pressed record for once, um, which is that we've got Hulkin back. Just to add it to the worst kept secrets in the Formula One paddock. What do you reckon, Tommy?
1: Yeah, it's it's been known pretty much, hasn't it? Um, I think it ended up being Mick that probably said it a bit earlier than Haas would have liked in the end. Um, but I think it's good. We, we probably all agree that Hulk still had a lot of racing left in him. He unfortunately hasn't had the career kind of accolades that he's been after. He's a very consistent driver that we've enjoyed watching, but he's never had those, I don't know, silverware moments or he's been able to take home something from the podium. And I think he still has unfinished business. So he drove really well at the start of the year with no practice. So it'd be interesting to see what he's like if he's got a full preseason under his belt and he's back to full fighting racing form. Um, but, yeah, very interesting to see two kind of older drivers back at the Haas team, like two of the more veteran drivers, not some some babies, which we've been used to seeing for the last two, three years at, at Haas.
0: Yeah, and that's obviously kind of that big change that um, Steiner's after really. He's kind of said, you know, we're, we're done with rookies. And as much as Hulk hasn't had a seat full-time um, since he left Renault in 2019, he, as you said, has over that, over his racing years, kind of being known as that consistent, reliable, kind of safe pair of hands for the most part. And I think, yeah, they'll be hoping a less crashy pair of hands (laughs) um, in in comparison to Mick. But it's an interesting one. Like it's pretty mixed reactions. I think I don't think necessarily anybody's kind of upset to see Hulkenberg Back on the grid, um, they kind of, as as you've said, said you know he's a he's a reliable driver. We felt like there was more racing left in him. Um, it's been good to have around the paddock, all of those those things. Um, as much as saying, did Mick deserve another year? And I it was interesting in um, mm. the press conference. He kind of said, "Look, I'm disappointed. I'm not going to hide that." And something we should we maybe haven't talked about as much is that he's said, look, last year almost didn't really count. We're just hanging out the back of the pack. You don't really get any racing experience out of that. This almost felt like my first year to give it a real crack and kind of fight with the mid-pack. Now he might have not done the most kind of reliable job of that, but he did a rookie job, you know?
1: Yeah, it's interesting like – I kind of tend to agree that last year didn't really count A because his teammate was not a benchmark he could measure himself against because he beat him easily without doing anything. The other part was, I think just like in general, the whole year was odd. Like we were racing at different times. There wasn't much, you couldn't, it wasn't a full grid like it has been this year where it's felt like we're back to normal. There was all the COVID stuff still hanging around. There's all these other extra little bits, but yeah, it, it kind of feels like that for everyone in every walk of life, right? Like last year was the odd year. It was really quirky and, I don't know, weird. But, yeah, I think I think you're right. It's, it's good to have Hulk back, but I don't know if it was so much that Mick didn't deserve to continue that drive as I wonder if Haas is just needing to get stuff done, knowing that the market in the U.S. is moving the way it is. They're the U.S. team. They just wanted to accelerate their timeline maybe. Uh, and they weren't willing to hang out and wait for the drivers to get good enough
0: yeah potentially and i think like maybe that's like such a team specific scenario like if you know if mick had been racing for someone else he might have had a bit more time up his sleeve either as a reserve driver or in that kind of testing testing and development role to get himself mm. um up to speed with with the new car whereas that, they didn't they don't really have that kind of that kind of space, or and and for the team when it comes to them needing to start delivering because they haven't been for for so long, um, they don't really have the, the patience. And I think last year was probably just so painful for anybody yeah. who was in a kind of, you know, management role or leadership position or whatever that they probably have a bit of an ultimatum when it comes to starting to get some starting to get some results that reflect the effort that's going mm. on. Um, with everybody else who's involved. So it'll be very interesting to see how he goes next year. Um, and, of course, then, you know, we have that pairing of Hulkenberg and Magnussen. They've had their tussles in the past, um, but I imagine that will be pretty easy to let that go and work on what they need to achieve together to try and get that team some results. Other people who have worked done very good work to try and, you know, support teammates and everything else is Valtteri Bottas, who is going into his Two hundredth mm-hmm. race start um, in Abu Dhabi, which for me just he just seems like someone who kind of like slides under the radar a little bit, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, this is the like mm. you know he's never missed out on never not made it out of you know Q three from like one hundred and fifty races or something like that or whatever his stat was."
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, you're like, "What? What? Yeah,
0: what? <laughs> Where did that come from? Um, what? What? What do you reckon? Has yeah. he?" Is that a is that a start you saw coming? I didn't.
1: <laughs> no, and to be honest, like if you had told me it was his hundred and fiftieth, or if you had told me it was his three hundredth, I probably would have believed you, just because, like you're saying, he's so consistent and just is always there and and doing a good consistent job. It's it's very interesting to see that. It, I feel like I would have expected more races from him, but I want it is he is still young. Like I forget that he's not as old as sometimes. Because I suppose he was next to Lewis and Dominance for six years and in that team, you feel like, oh, this guy's been around for years. He's he's 100 years old. They're the senior veterans. But VB is still relatively young in comparison to some of the other people on the grid. So I still think he's probably got another 100 races left in him if he wanted it. I, I could see him in that 300 club up with like Alonso and Seb and mm. all those guys that have carried on. Maybe not the full Rubens, which is – Insane. I think he's like closer to four hundred, if not exceeded. That's that bad. guy was insane, yeah. and just was everyone's teammate forever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, it's it's very very impressive from from VB, and it just it's kind of a nice acknowledgement of a great career because I don't think there's a lot of people who can say that they've had two hundred races. A, a lot of those in like a very competitive team a lot of race wins it's a very stellar career
0: yeah totally 10 race wins 67 podiums and 20 pole positions like it's not a it's not a short list by any means and like you said it is a weird one right like you kind of feel like it seems like a lot of races, but at the same time, he's always he's always been there, so it doesn't seem like that many. So like the opposite of Leclerc. Leclerc feels like he's been here for five minutes, but actually he's been been around for a little while. Um his F1 driver yeah. is F1 drivers just like breaking the space-time continuum. <laughs> We've also got two hundredth but yeah. different stat <laughs> Oh, you poor thing, you can see it not well. Um 200th race, race with but with Mercedes for Hamilton. So another.
1: <laughs> That's insane, isn't it? When you think about we just talked about VB and his 200 and how impressive that is for a career to be anywhere and then Hamilton's done that with one team. It's very impressive to be that consistent and dominant in one team. That's, yeah. I mean, he we, he's arguably the best we've ever seen uh, and continues to push that. I think, yeah, the the second half of the season, I would say he's been better than, than George. And I, I, you started the year, he was just unlucky more, more time. So to still be as competitive as he is, he's not just compiling races at the end of his career, just adding to them. He's still well and truly in the hunt for, for wins, uh, is very impressive, uh, from Lewis.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing, which kind of came out after a lot of the races in the start of the season was that he was testing a lot of parts as well um which George wasn't so he was kind of while they were trying to fix all of their problems we kind of forget just how much difficulty they had at the start of the season when they were just absolutely nowhere um and you know us included especially after speaking to people likes of Richard Saxby kind of saying we're not sure if they're going to be able to get it right this year just based on what you know the type of environment they're used to to operating in which is a winning environment if they'll be able to figure out how to problem mm. solve and kind of have to work for that in in such a different way um and it sounds like Lewis was such a big part of that in terms of finding their way out of those those issues and kind of being the guinea pig for a lot of the potential solutions um while George kind of yeah came to terms with that car we've got Unfortunate news when it comes to Daniel Ricciardo, he will have a three-grid place penalty. So he did joke though he's like, you know what, penalties make me go faster. I wish I got us. (laughs) I wish I got five, Um, but they only gave me three. I've kind of got here, you know, (laughs) last last races for Vettel, Latifi, Dr? Question mark Mick? Question mark. Um, it's probably not the start that he wanted Mm. to his maybe last Grand Prix. Um, And he has said in his press conference he's feeling really good. He's not treating it like his last race. He knows that it might be, um, but he just knows that penalties make him go faster. What would you hope to see from DR this weekend?
1: I'd like to see a competitive Daniel coming from further back than he would have liked, but also like, let's go with a ballsy strategy. Let's like play for that kind of jeopardy and see what happens and capitalize on those opportunities. Cause that's a, that's the Daniel I enjoy watching is kind of on a different strategy. Like the Renault days were really fun. Like looking back now at the time, maybe not so much, but that second year at Renault (laughs) was really interesting to see when he would jump onto those like alternate strategies and somehow go long. And that's one thing that he has been able to do in this car. Um, So Maximize your points. Stuff the team. Obviously, this is the last race. Like, if you want to do a long strategy, let's start on a different tire. Let's kind of go for a one stop if everyone else is doing a two. Like, or switch it up. Like, I, I don't know why just following what everyone else is doing all the time seems to be what McLaren wants to do and prescribes. But I would just say go for it, mate. And yeah, there's literally no tomorrow for him at this stage. So there's no there's no reason to kind of I don't know play nice and. I don't know do the team thing there's there's no mm. real benefit right now, I wouldn't have thought because I, I can't see him going back to McLaren at all ever so I don't you don't want to burn the bridges as such but like you can kind of leave having crushed it out maybe going for a move or I don't know if he hit Lando say going for a really competitive move I don't think that's the worst thing.
0: Not at all but you heard it here first and DR if you're listening Tommy T's advice go for it mate. <laughs> I think it's, that's pretty solid. There's some pretty solid recommendations. I think there's um just from a kind of a mentality perspective, this is an, an interesting one because I saw a couple of comments floating around of people kind of saying like, oh, I don't like how much he has accepted that this could be his last race in, in Formula One. He seems too content with the fact that this could all be over. And what is interesting about that and the person who is very um, – well practiced in this and really interesting to listen to, um, just to spruik Australian sport a little bit more is Ash Barty's coach, um, or mindset coach. And it was really interesting because he was talking about, um, her approach going into her last, um, Grand Slam. And there's a lot of work that we would do around kind of visualization and that type of thing. And, there is a lot of power and acceptance. And it doesn't mean that you've accepted that you're going to lose. It's accepted that you might. You also accept at the same time that you might win or that it might be over or that it, that might not be. And what that can allow you to do is to focus on the process. So obviously, those are all really experienced athletes and they all all have their own approaches to, to managing kind of the mental side of things. But it is quite an interesting one because it can, I know it can sound a bit um contradictory so to speak when it comes to super elite athletes and you know as we've talked about before these are 20 of the most competitive people on the planet um yeah but it's it's not as contradictory as it as it might initially sound because by having that acceptance of any outcome allows you to focus purely on the job at hand and what you need to do to achieve it and it's a it's a bit of a um it can be an easy mistake to make to kind of focus on the silverware so to speak because then you forget about what you actually have to mm. do to achieve it and you get that kind of focusing on the win rather than each step that comes between now now and that. Um, I know it's a bit different because he's not necessarily going in to try and win this weekend as much as just have a really great last, last race, but I think that type of acceptance will also allow him to get everything out of it. Um, you know, he's not going to not put his best foot forward. He's not going to not try stuff, I don't think. But at the same time, having that acceptance will probably just allow him to take it all in as well. But but I'm completely with you in terms of saying, you know, just go for it. Don't take the easy way out or Mm. do be the nice guy just because it's it's your last race. Yeah. Why? (laughs) We'll see how he goes this weekend and if that penalty does in fact give him the fire that he says that it will. As I mentioned, we've got some some last races and some last races question mark. Um, So Dr. and Mick obviously falling into the question mark. Not so much because it's not. I mean, we know they're not racing next year, but we they're not um, leaving the sport with any type of finality. Um, The person who I imagine would be because they haven't been the reliable set of hands that might be invited back would be Latifi. We've talked a bit about him mm. um my last podcast and you guys um, after after Brazil as well. And it was interesting listening to him in the, the press conference today actually because he's not dissimilar to some of the interview stuff that he's done. He kind of said, you know, I value the experience that I've had so much. I'm living the dream that a lot of people will have had and I'm just mm. kind of sad that it hasn't been more successful. Um but, you know, last weekend he's been here before and hopefully it's a little bit less memorable maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean his name was like the third most mentioned I reckon after last last year's finale, wasn't it? Mm. He was the cause of all the <laughs> havoc. Um, I think I'd probably be in a similar spot to him. Just it's an incredible thing to have done regardless of, if you've had wins in Formula 1, just to get to Formula 1 is an outstanding achievement and he's kind of realised that. He's like, I've had a couple of years, I've had a lot of opportunities and it's been an excellent time. Like not everyone is going to be Lewis Hamilton or Michael Schumacher. That is just not the case. Like there can only be one or two. So the rest of the pack has to be made up with excellent people like Latifi's and I think he's kind of had, like you mentioning before, like that realisation and acceptance of – I've had the best opportunity, I've done the best I can with the tools I have and the skills I have Uh, and I'm just going to enjoy the last little moment of it and then I'm going to move on and go into another part of motorsport or continue a career somewhere else and, like, look at it fondly rather than with this disdain or, like, I suppose frustration of not being given the opportunity or, oh, if something else just went right, it was going to be all mine and I don't think he's that mindset. I think he's quite accepting of... I'm as talented as I am and I've maximised what I can uh, and my opportunities. So I am I really like Nick Latifi. I think he's a great personality and I wish him all the best in whatever he does because he just seems like the kind of person you'd want to have a beer with and uh, spend time with because he seems genuine and kind of honest in that respect. Mm. So best of luck to Nick if, if this is the last. If you're of listening. You. Uh, and hopefully we see him. <laughs> if you're listening, he probably is. He probably is. But, yeah, hopefully we see him in something else interesting uh, soon.
0: Well, I think it's an opportunity for as much as obviously he would want to be in Formula 1 just because I think, you know, obviously it is the the pinnacle of, of motorsport and competition in this kind of, you know, sport. But when you're sa- having such a tough time and have had such a tough time for a couple of years now, um, I kind of start thinking about, on a little bit but others as well where that opportunity actually where you, you kind of get released and you go do something else that brings you a lot of joy you potentially have a lot more success in actually um, and start kind of getting your your second motorsport life you um, is potentially not the worst thing for him because I think if you, you know, if you, if he if he did, was to stick around for another year or two or year you know just based on contractual arrangements if Logan Sargent doesn't get his um his his super license his points this weekend um you know it's just going to be another year of the same thing um, which from his perspective you know you just have to question how how enjoyable it is. When every weekend, and he, he did say that in his interview, you know, every weekend, you know, you're not going in to, to try and win. You're going to go in and try and not come last, which is is not what they're, they're going to want to be there to do. So hopefully he finds something else to go and hopefully have a bit more success in and get his second motorsport wind life, however you want to think about it. Um, Mick is a question mark. We've kind of talked a little bit about about Mick in the context of Hulk coming back. Um, Similarly, look, I think he's somebody who probably is more, we're more likely to see back on the grid Um, just because he's, like we said, his experience has just been so, so limited and I think a lot of people are still, you know, confident in his potential if that makes sense. And, of course, he has. I love it how it's like as soon as one thing gets released or confirmed, the dominoes do start to fall or the next, not even necessarily confirmed dominoes as much as the next rumours start forming. Um, so, of course, he's now been linked with the Mercedes reserve driver role um, with Nick De Vries obviously having gone to Alfa and Stoffel van Dorn, going to Aston Martin as their, reser- their reserve, now vac- vacated by Hulkenberg. So there's been connections there. But for some reason I feel like he's someone who we're, m- we're more likely to see back on the grid.
1: I think more just because of his name as well as, like, he was solid. I don't think he was detrimental to the Haas team this year. I think he was quite solid. He had some really good results against K-Mag, who is a, a veteran of the sport and has done really well this year. But he was competitive with with him, someone who's been driving a, a lot longer than him. I think the environment at Mercedes could be a very interesting place for him to learn as well. Um, I wonder what... Stoffel Van Dorn and Nick DeVries would say about that culture. And before they entered that and now leaving that, what if they feel like they've improved, if they I, I suppose their mindset, their their attitudes and just how they go about being a racing driver has changed because from what it looks like from the outside and what we hear, it is this well-oiled machine that just promotes the best out of everyone. Uh, and it is a very much a team uh, as opposed to, you'd think of some other teams especially like we can talk about Red Bull at the moment which seems like there is a driver and everyone else is subservient <laughs> to that driver it does not seem that way at Mercedes does it it seems like a we're all here working moving in the same direction um, and I think that would really work well for Mick to have some excellent drivers around for him to learn off to work in those sims to have people like Toto kind of in and around coaching and mentoring. That is. Excellent. Not that Haas wasn't able to do that, but you can't compare, like, what Mercedes has to offer compared to, say, a, a team running on a shoestring budget like Haas. So I think I would like to see that because that means we, we don't lose him completely from the sport. Um, there's a nice parallel, I suppose, that his dad was there, but that that's something that we don't like to say. Like, Mick is his own driver. Uh, and yeah. I think that would probably be the career move for him as if I was in that situation, I think I'd be like, where can I learn from the best? That makes sense. I, I would head to Mercedes if possible.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's a really good point. And like you said, you know, he's going to be wanting to make his own career decisions, not just those where he feels like he's got a legacy in, so to speak, at the same time that that's going to be something that that helps him very likely. Um, but, but like you said, you kind of go – You know, I need to keep learning. I need to learn from the best where I can. But it's also just learning how other teams do things. I think when you've only experienced one team, that so far is kind of all you know. Now, obviously, he's been the Ferrari Driver Academy and that type of thing, but he's – you know, from an operational perspective and how things run and decisions are made and debriefed and everything else, he only knows one way. Um, so it would be interesting to see yeah. how experiencing a different way would actually help him to to develop as a driver. And you can think about that with any career really. Like you, you can be a very big mm-hmm. fish in a small pond and you only know how to swim about around your little pond <laughs> and you go somewhere else. You go to the uh, yep. you, jump out and go to a big pond and, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, crap, okay, I've got a bit to learn here. But that's potentially going to make you so much better as well. So I hope that he get, does get that opportunity yeah. just to kind of expand his experience because I think it's it'd be so hard if you, if that's what you were limited to and just kind of experiencing one team over, over a two-year period, half of which, you know, was under very strange circumstances um, and, yep. you know, knowing that all your time and effort was being put into the next year anyway. So I hope that he does get that opportunity. I think that he will. Like you said, I think as much as he is obviously trying to be his own driver and have his own career, I think, you know, his name will support him in some way to, to help keep his foot in the door where others might not have the same opportunity really. Yeah. Other things to look forward to this weekend, um, we've got Drivers' Championship. Um, still a little bit of fighting going on there. I know we don't really care so much about second and third, but as it came out last weekend, <laughs> it can impact what's happening on track and what people are saying over the radio and potentially who finishes where either by racing or by team decisions. So obviously we're going in with that fight for second kind of being the talking point. We've got 290 points each, Leclerc and Checo. Leclerc is ahead kind of based on wins um, as opposed to to points, which basically means that whoever finishes ahead, as long as it's inside the top ten, will secure second Mm -hmm. place. Does anyone care, Tommy?
1: (laughs) Not really. I don't. I do like the fact that it's tied. That's interesting because there's no like, Mm. oh, if someone finishes third and someone finishes like worse than ninth and they win. I don't like those like kind of aggregate kind of ones. Like this is straight who finishes first and that at least mm. is easier to root for and watch I guess um, it's going to be very interesting to see how Signs plays into that and I think how Max Max has come out and said that he's going to do whatever he needs to do but I think Signs has got his own battles uh, and he's still in a position where he needs to make sure he's getting points uh, as well I'm pretty sure uh, and he's probably had a year where he wants to prove everything he can if he can get a podium or a race win I think Sainz is going to go for it he does not care about Leclerc he that is his direct competitor uh and I, I think he's probably been a bit hard done by with the amount of DNS he's had the the unlucky situations people seem to view Leclerc as this clear number one in that team I don't think mm. it's as clear cut I think given like a, a bit more even kind of bad luck I, I think Sainz has been very impressive this year uh and i think he'd be looking to cement that regardless of what the team asks which is going to be interesting if that's how it plays out so that's what i'm looking for is more the signs part of this equation
0: totally and and you're completely right in terms of saying like why should he you know there's they, there's not a clear number in my i completely agree with you i don't think there is a clear number 1 2 driver i think leclerc fans will see it that way and like you said i think just all it takes in these situations is one relatively well known kind of whether it's a commentator or whoever else to say, oh he's a future world champion and then all of a sudden it's like, ah oh, yep, they're Ferrari, number one driver. they kind of that type of yeah. statement or kind of backing gets so much momentum with how people um, you know, see these teams and, and their drivers and that type of thing. And I completely agree. I don't think there is a clear cut. And sure, you know, the cler's obviously further ahead in, in the um the championship standings, but Carlos has been, yeah, kind of plagued by exploding engines this year. So um, and then brake ducts. I did not think his car was going to last the distance last week when we saw it smoking and then there was the tear-off that was caught in the brake duct. And I was just like, oh, my God, not again. (laughs) But you're completely right. He could totally play into that what 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 goes on there
1: yeah I th- it's been what was it six engines and like eight different exhausts like that is unheard of that's that's a yeah. lot of penalties to start with that he's had to take because of that but also the brace before usually that meant a dnf so not only is he mm. had all the dns which show up quite easily in the standings and like how the the years played out but also then you're not taking into account that he's always taking grid penalties after those in the next race so not only, it's it's like a double whammy because yeah the previous race you got kicked out of the next race you're starting from further back than you should so considering all of that I think he's had quite an incredible season and when he's had his machinery work he's been excellent and I, I'd really like to see him get a clean run we used to say this about uh, Valtteri At Mercedes, it seemed to be always he would have the bad luck and it was like imagine if he just had a a clean run at a year, could he take it to Lewis? I feel very similar about signs, and he's just had this bad luck that has just put him at a deficit to his teammate kind of unfairly, I would say, based on their comparable skill.
0: Oh, totally. And if you actually look at it, I'm just having checking out their kind of stats at the moment. Like Leclerc's had ten podiums this year. Carlos has had nine. Like it's, they've actually had a yeah. phenomenal. He's had had a phenomenal amount of success. Um, and when you, if you're able to place yourself almost the same amount of times in the top three, that does not scream number one, number two driver to me. And no. when we we talk about the little, some of those little differences between them, I think you actually see some some more judgment errors coming from Leclerc in comparison to Carlos. Like he's made a couple of mistakes this year as well, for sure. Um, but he seems to be able to pull it together a little bit more um, at times as well. So, yeah, that could definitely play into this for sure. And then on top of that, who knows what Max is actually going to do. I think when you see someone yeah. say, 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 saying only, you know, four days after the incident saying, oh, yeah, he's got my full support when four days ago you said, don't ask me to do this again. I'm not sure I believe that. I
1: don't know. Hmm. <laughs>
0: It was pretty funny actually. Um, obviously if you listened to last week's podcast um, and we interviewed Emily who is a quite intense Red Bull fan um, and and Max fan and I, I was messaging her on Sunday, I said, explain your way out of this, mate. And she was like, I was really hoping for the rest of the message <laughs> to say or, you know, the rest of the message to say, you know, it's he's like, too far behind or whatever else. And not only that, to have completely jinxed Red Bull um, for, for that weekend I think it was feeling pretty bad <laughs> as though there was actually any relationship between her predictions <laughs> and the outcome.
1: Yeah, it was an odd one, wasn't it? I think oh, it doesn't look good to Max. Like there was a lot of blowback from fans and it, it's put Max fans in a very awkward position, hasn't it? Because we see from the outside how much Checo has sacrificed and – Monaco aside, like we don't know what happened there. If it did, it did. Uh, and at some point you've got to take your opportunity so that maybe that's what happened. But it, it, you, it's unquestionable that uh, Checo has done so much for Max throughout their time together. So for something as kind of meaningless for Max as last week was, it seemed like he was a bit of a petulant child making a big deal out of something that wasn't really a big deal to finish one position lower for points he didn't need or care about, uh, it, it wasn't a big ask. It was just just take your foot off the throttle as you're going to the line and it will solve itself. Like that was it. It was just exactly. cruise. Like,
0: and, if, and if Checo gets there in time, he gets there on time. And if he doesn't, you don't lose any places. Like it was just a like, you know, m- moot situation where you go, this won't actually change anything for you. You've already won the bloody championship. You're unlikely to lose a place by just taking your foot off the throttle, like you said. Um, Yeah, bizarre situation, which I think as a lot of people kind of acknowledged um, that, uh, you know, didn't really need to happen and probably showed his true colours, which is challenging as a Dutchie Mm. because I do like to support him and there's lots of things that I do like about him when it comes to the competitive side of him. I actually think it's quite fascinating and to be so single-minded is – harder work than people probably expect. Um, but in situations like that where you've got nothing to lose um, and you're all, at the end of the day part of a team um, and someone has done so much for you, it's difficult to understand the motivation um, be, behind that, especially when, yeah, yeah, who knows? Who knows? And we'll see what happens mm. this weekend. Um few other things. So Logan Sargent, he needs to finish at least fifth. In the F2 driver's standings or sixth, providing that he gets those additional two points um, for f- finishing the season without receiving any penalty points. Um, so, do you know what's funny about this? Talking about um, uh, the super license points, his total tally increased by two after he reached the 100k running um, that you need in free practice with Williams and Texas and Brazil. Mm-hmm. He would have got another point if he'd completed one more lap while he was out racing in yeah. in Mexico. <laughs> like
1: insane. The I don't margins. know why they did that. It's just bizarre. Mm. Bizarre. I don't, I just don't understand it. It's just that someone has to has to have stuffed up there, right? Like that is unfathomable like that he couldn't have just done one or two more laps at each of those free practices. Like bizarre. Anyway, like that's just uh, we we think these teams are just the most slick operators, and sometimes it's just like it is someone with a notepad going, "Oh yeah, come in now," like and things just get yeah. missed.
0: <laughs> They've got Something a tally as going. As this
1: though, you probably shouldn't miss on. <laughs> yeah, the
0: abacus just One. counting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, just
0: counting laps.
1: <laughs> yeah, no,
0: exactly. It does seem like a bit of a you know simple error to make that would have left him with you know one fewer points that he needed to get this weekend. But assuming he doesn't put a foot wrong um, and he finishes where it looks like he should and there's no no errors on his part or anybody else who gets in the way of that, um, then hopefully we will see him in that Williams seat next year. Just a couple of other pieces from the press conference that we um, haven't really talked about yet. Um, Hamilton has kind of said that he doesn't really feel like this track is going to be strong for them, um, which Russell Agreed with um, low speed corners, long straights, and they're expecting it to suit Red Bull more so. But momentum off the back of last weekend—I don't know—that does a lot for for a team um, to to get you in the right frame of mind to put another win forward. I reckon that could give them a bit of what they needed to to cover any gaps that they might have on the performance side.
1: Yeah, I think that car looks really competitive and it didn't look as kind of one-dimensional as it has throughout the year where it's, like, strong in one section and weak in others. I think it was just an all-round good race car. Like, I think it actually was faster than the Red Bull completely uh, for the last, like, two, three races. I'd say probably from Austin it's been it's been the best car Um so with the with the edits to this track, I think it actually will be back to competitive. Um, it's not as slow a speeds as they have been before they did all those edits since Karun did all those changes to the those couple of corners. So I think they'll be more competitive, but this <laughs> is just classic Mercedes, isn't it? They, they've taught them well how to downplay. Get some more uh, sand in that bag.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just find it really funny. They can't possibly say like, "Yeah, this is going to be a great circuit for us. Can't wait to go out and absolutely, you know, demolish everybody yeah. else." Because I, I know you're only setting yourself up for failure for that. But you actually do hear other teams coming out a lot more and saying, "I think this could this could be um, a track for us." So. We will see what happens if it's the usual um, Mercedes sandbagging, which they are
1: mostly Alonso.
0: Mostly Alonso, yeah, exactly. We'll <laughs> see what happens. If you, like me, somebody who lives overseas but also just wants to watch shows from all over the place and missing out on your favourite shows not available in your region, try to keep your private time private. Campy looking at you. Well, let me introduce NordVPN. NordVPN allows Campy to watch The Real Housewives of Alabama whenever he wants. But if you also, if you're bored with Australian Netflix, easy to do, why not take it for a spin in the US? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. You don't need to travel to Japan or Singapore, which is where our next GRID GP is, for your favourite anime when recording NordVPN brings it right to you. You can reach 5,000 server options and no show is out of your reach. So, using our link, nordvpn.com forward slash lakeside drive, you can receive a huge discount on a two year plan plus four free months. That's four free months campy of straight real housewives. You can cover OC, Alabama, New York, Florida. Um, you can. Pro- I reckon there's maybe a like a Denver Real Housewives. I don't know. But these are all accessible to you using NordVPN. Plus, part of our binging, we want to keep it private, right? So NordVPN keeps your information encrypted, so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And they've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. So say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware, of course. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and it deletes it just like Campy probably wishes he could delete his browsing history, but it makes a mess of your computer, as he will know, but NordVPN is there with its threat protection feature. And all of this is risk-free. Don't forget that there is literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. So give it a try and if you like it, that's awesome. If you don't, they'll issue a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never even happened nordvpn.com slash drive to get your subscription started today. Mm. All righty. So instead of going into a profile this week, as we traditionally would um, on Freya's Free Practice Fridays, um, we are instead going to do a not a total deep dive because I think we're all pretty familiar with his career, but just share some moments and highlights when it comes to Sebastian Vettel. So obviously haven't talked so much about him on the podcast so far because we really wanted to talk about him in a bit more depth um, for, for our profile of the week, so to speak. So when it comes to Sebastian Vettel, he has said, People can remember how many races and championships I've won but I'd rather be remembered that it's, I'm going to get this wrong. People can remember that I've how many races and championships I've won but I'd rather be remembered as kind, attentive and just me. So naturally we're going to go through all of the numbers which is four-time world champion, 299th <laughs> Grand Prix this weekend. I think he should come back for one next year just to turn that into 300. Um, he used to be public enemy number one in Australia. He was also the youngest world champion. He's had 53 wins, 57 polls, 122 podiums, now reformed, good guy, Uncle Seb. He has the third <laughs> highest <laughs> raced victories and podiums. He has one Instagram account, 2.3 million followers and is following <laughs> zero other people.
1: <laughs> Amazing.
0: It's what a career, Tommy T. And he was so funny in the press conference today um, when asked, you know, how does it feel to be retiring? He said, well, I don't know yet. I'll ask Nando. He's done it before. Um, And it is an interesting question of how are you (laughs) going to feel? And he's like, well, I don't know. Ask this guy. He's done it. Um, I'll find out on Sunday. But he did say that it's already starting to feel a bit different and he refused to pick a moment to highlight um, from his career. He said, you know, it's just not possible there are too too many. Of course, the firsts, so to speak, um, do stand out. You know, your first pole, your first win, first championship, as he is able to say, um, all hold a special Mm -hmm. place for him. But just because he won't pick one doesn't mean that we can't. What's your favourite Sebastian Vettel moment, Tommy?
1: <laughs> it, it's it's probably unfair to say, but my favourite moment is not really about his driving ability or amazing passing. It's him moving the, the podium <laughs> numbers at the end of the Canadian Grand Prix. <laughs> I think it's, that's just, that is like one of the most hilarious, like honest Sebastian things when he because we forget because we've had for these last couple of years is this very lovely, caring Uncle Seb, but there is a fiery side to him and a very competitive side, which you have to have to win as much as he did and and be as dominant as he was. And I think that was like such a good summation of that is like I don't care what you said. Like I know I won that. I should have this position. And it was just a raw emotional reaction. And I, I really appreciated that and we that can live on forever now because we have that meme uh, and I think it's fantastic.
0: It is absolutely fantastic and yeah, I actually have that on my list as well, which is really boring. So that's the end of the podcast. Thank you to use one of James's repeated jokes. Um, but one of the other things that I had noted down as a favourite moment from him was actually also not um, a racing moment or anything that was on track. But it was like way back when he was in um, Red Bull when they had one of those press conferences and he got that really long winded question about turn back 30 years. And we were asked if a monkey could drive a Formula One car. Well, now it's like, and it went off. The yeah. question went off like an hour. And there's five of them all looking at each other. And Seb just goes, Can you repeat the question?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: just quality. And so we are getting plenty of Sebastian Vettel favorite moments, both on and off track. Like you said, the the Canada one will live on forever in Meme World, which is just fantastic. But while it doesn't, um, for many of us, seem like that long ago that we were watching him battle away um, in Australia with Mark Webber, for example, for Sebastian, he's been karting since he was three. He started racing at eight. Um, he joined the junior Red Bull team, uh, Red Bull junior team. Sorry, in 1998. You know, this is going back. I was only seven at that time. Um, so it's interesting for me with with watching Sebastian now and just over the last, you know, probably four or five years, thinking about where his career is intersected with my age. I sometimes just find a bit, a bit amusing. Um, it's the same with with some of the other. Um, drivers, but um, when when you kind of think about where you slot into their career moments, I suppose. Um, But he was then promoted to open wheel racing in 2003. In 2005 um, he started racing in the Euro Formula 3, won Rookie Cup, and started testing for Williams and Sauber um, Formula 1 teams. So test driver for BMW Sauber in 2006, runner-up in the Euro F. Three in the same year. He nearly lost a finger from flying debris at Spa, which could have very much changed his career trajectory. Um, But at that point was called up to the BMW Sauber F1 team and he became the youngest driver to score a point. So he got very good at um, setting records pretty early in his career. Um, Yeah then got released early to go to Toro Rosso in 2007, 2008, again became the youngest pole sitter um, and also youngest driver to win a Grand Prix at 21 years of age and 74 days. What were you doing when you were 21 years old with 74 days to keep Tommy?
1: 21. I was was working uh, as a young coffee roaster but. Not a lot else, to be honest. Not that impressive. I was still a baby and probably still had my mum booking my doctor's appointments. Like <laughs> I was not winning I was not winning Grand Prix, is that's for sure.
0: <laughs> that is a very good point. I'm trying to think about what I was doing at 21 and I would have been in the second year uni, I think. Maybe first year uni, I'm not sure. Um, but yep, it was definitely still my parents' health insurance. So working as well, but not not becoming the world's youngest Formula 1 driver to win a race, that is for sure. And, again, we just go back with these drivers as well as um, all the other individuals and roles that are involved in Formula 1 and the fact that they've been working at these things since they were literally kids, um, which is just really, I think, important to remember as we celebrate these careers um, so after Toro Rosso mm. then naturally made that that progression into Red Bull in 2009 replacing DC. So that's when the winning started as did the crashing mostly with Mark Webber and he became enemy of the state. He also got four world championships at the time. Yeah. What's it been like for you, Tommy, to change your view on Sebastian Vettel as somebody who, would have Australia would have supported, you know, Australian Formula One drivers, and to see the shift. What's it been like for you to mm-hmm. see his career during that time? But now, you yeah, obviously changed since then.
1: Oh, he was like young Seb was worse than like young Max, and Max said his worst, I would say. He was this very abrasive, like young personality. Like I remember interviews and seeing things about Seb when he was that age and winning, and he was like. He was so hard to like and he he just came across as this, I suppose, like sport brat that had had everything and got to this position and didn't really care about anyone else other than winning and himself. The, the most drastic transition to what he is now, I think time has helped definitely. Mm. The fact that Mark Webber is no longer racing uh, and we've had, uh, I suppose like I wonder if the rest of – His career after those four World Championships was just humbling and maybe he's been reflective over those years looking back at how good he had things, how good the team was, how good the car was, how good his teammate was, all of those things because, like, he hasn't had any of that since. Uh, Everywhere he's gone has been met with, like, failure and frustration, I would say. So I think maybe he was like, oh, I did have it really good when I was that young. And maybe he was just too young to appreciate it is the main thing, I think. Like, he was so young to be in that position with the best car, with the best talent at the time to win those championships. He just didn't have the, I suppose, didn't have the maturity to appreciate it at the time. And I think now that he is grown and mature, he's looking back fondly and has kind of tried to, I suppose, Pay back those things and and fix what he can uh, because the, the dr- it is the most drastic transition, isn't it? The this guy that was hated in in Australia yeah. and especially Melbourne uh, because he was the one taking out Mark Webber mm. to now being like I don't know anyone who doesn't like Seb Vettel unless they've stopped watching Formula One and just don't know because he is like one of the best custodians, the person you want kind of being the face of our sport. He is mm. exactly what you want as a representative of F1 uh, and and where it's going into the future, I think.
0: Well, yeah, and absolutely. And I think what's an interesting point there that you make um, is around just that maturity side of things and, you know, just that ability and also space to be able to reflect on his career. Um, but he did actually make that point where um, after he he says that after he won his first world championship, he said, I kind of felt this sudden release and sure that was a weight off my shoulders and a kind of a pressure that got taken off. It also just made me hungry for more, um, but in a different way, which I thought was quite an interesting way to to look at it. And it's interesting, I think, from a supporter's perspective is watching somebody, and we, we see this with other athletes as well and, of course, other people in the public life, full stop. It's not just about... Um, sports people it's about anybody who has the limelight of them. people who are in the spotlight from a young age but particularly in a competitive environment and then holding on to those behaviors that they showed as a you know 20 year old 21 year old and then still treating them the same way when they're 31, 35 um, whereas we mm. as kind of spectators with him have also had a responsibility to let him mature if that makes sense. Um, so I think it's yep it's very easy to say nah no, he's just this overly competitive angry stubborn um you know selfish kind of person but he's actually matured into something pretty incredible when it comes to his the care that he has for other people which is the complete opposite for what <laughs> what we seemed to see in those those early years yeah um yeah but that's on us as well, in terms of going, you've got to let people grow up, you know, you've got to let them let them mature. Yep. Um but like you said, those those early years and then obviously going into to Ferrari where it just I can only imagine just must have been the most frustrating time of his life when it came to things feeling so close and yet so far, particularly in two thousand and seventeen. Um, you know, having that championship just just slip away, uh-huh. um, and for many potential, well, you know, it's never down to one race necessarily, except for last year. Um, not necessarily things that were in his control, like he had massive reliability problems. Wouldn't be like you, Ferrari, um, and you know, uh-huh. just watching this, <laughs> watching this championship slip away, and like you said, since then um, hasn't really had. You know the the same level of success. Not to say that that wasn't an an incredible stint that he had um, he had with them. And then of course going into to Aston Martin in 2021 and 2022, we've also heard a lot, as you can imagine, from other drivers during the last couple of weeks and since he announced his retirement, really, but in particular this weekend, Hamilton, when asked what it was like to to race and battle with. Sebastian Vettel basically said, "Look, he was a bit of a nuisance, really." Um, and then you have Seb- Sebastian kind of coming back, saying, "Look, I think our relationship is better for our battles." And I'll and interestingly, immediately, as much as somebody who wouldn't go back and pick a career highlight or moment or favorite or anything like that, was immediately able to say, "Baku, I wish that didn't happen. I did the wrong thing, but our relationship has been stronger ever ever since." Um, and that to me was mm. a really interesting moment to have the humility now to still go back and say, no, nah, that was on me. Um, but I'm glad we've, we've been able to keep keep racing um, and that our our relationship has been stronger. But then Hamilton also said, yeah, but you'll be back. Like it's that, that idea of going, it's like Nando. It's <laughs> like he's already retired, but he'll be back. Maybe we'll, we'll cut a deal. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Speaking of... Fernando Alonso, he has said that it will be very strange without Sebastian racing alongside. He said we've, you know, we obviously fought for championships. He said we fought for championships, and now we fight for seventh. So things are different, but he does feel <laughs> <laughs> he does feel like his career will be linked with Seb's um, in many ways. He's got a tribute helmet for mm. him this weekend, and it reminds me a lot of that kind of Rafa and Federer type relationship where their relationship, their their professional relationships and careers are completely intertwined. You know, you won't hear about one without hearing about the other. Um, One of our favourite, obviously, drivers and his perspective with Daniel Ricciardo, and he reflected on not just the competitor but the person and he kind of separated the two um, in terms of saying, look, the competitor, you can't help but respect the level of, competition in him really he said you know 2013 he didn't just want to win he wanted Mm. to destroy everybody (laughs) and as somebody else who's really competitive you know you, you look up to that actually a lot but interestingly outside of that he said you know but he can he can compartmentalize he can he can still come and see you off track and say I hope you're all right Um, And obviously I think potentially as some of that competition pressure, if not the competitiveness, has been lifted, he's been able to perhaps let that other side shine a bit more as well. Um, Max obviously recalling Sebastian being there, waiting for him after his Silverstone crash um, and checking that he was all right. And even Leclerc saying when I was back in Formula 2 doing sim work, I got a letter from Seb um, saying, I really appreciate how much work you're putting in. Um, and he said, you know, that that respect off track from him has never changed regardless of on track issues. So mm. just a very interesting career when it comes to huge amounts of success um, as as well as watching somebody to kind of grow and change and development, develop and in the eyes of others as well um, throughout his career.
1: Yeah. I think it, it is sad because it's a nice energy to have on the grid as opposed to I suppose with the more younger, hungrier drivers who are very much matter of fact, like, I don't know. It's it's very impressive, I think, that Seb has been able to compartmentalise, like you mentioned. And when the visor's down, I am ultimate competitor. But when I'm off the track, best of mates, we can actually have those conversations. And I think Daniel does that quite well as well. And that's something that hopefully Seb has been able to kind of encourage others to do. But it is very interesting that, I suppose like he's taken this Uncle Seb role so seriously and has decided to figure out what legacy he can leave in these last couple of years and how can he leave Formula One in a good spot once he does leave. And I think that's been forefront of his mind as much as the on-track stuff almost. He wants to make sure that he's talking about the environmental issues that he cares about, about the the opportunities for underrepresented people. The things that he's made very apparent uh, for these last two years of his career. Uh, He's seen like the opportunity to actually make some change for good um, and for a long time and really change, I suppose, the benchmark of what is required to be an F1 driver. Uh, And like it it just goes to show that he's so respected by his peers. um, I think that's all he he wants is just to go – is to impart all this knowledge and wisdom uh, and and just leave with the respect of everyone that uh, he felt was a contemporary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there was so much respect even further from that after I listened to his interview with Tom Clarkson, um, partially because he didn't give the answer that you could tell that Tom was wanting him to give where he said, was there a primary person <laughs> who really helped you to achieve everything that you did and who, you know, motivated you and helped you along the way and everything else and you know the name that he's wanting him to say and his response was I attribute all of my success to my wife because we've been together since we left school she has put herself second as long as we have been together and you know a lot of people have a lot of talent but you have to be at peace with yourself in order to be able to keep your nerves in check in a big moment and have balance in life that helps you to, to achieve that. Um, and that's how you extract that talent. And she was mm. able. You know, my relationship with her meant that I could achieve that that balance and be fulfilled in all elements of my life and allowed me to to focus solely on this. And on on that note, kind of says, you know, I, I'm ready to go into the unknown. I. I know I've known myself in the racing environment. She's known me in the racing environment and, you know, now we need to go and discover who Sebastian Vettel is outside of that schedule and routine and calendar and completely open to what's next. And he said, you know, that might Mm. be about her focusing on what her passion is and, and me supporting her. But he said, let's be clear, I'm still a competitor I'm going to have to find a way to have that outlet. So It will be very interesting to see how he does find a way and he's he's definitely not ruling out um, either a cameo appearance um, or another motorsport category to to get involved in. There's still definitely hints that um, he's going to need some sort of um, way of positively channeling what I would say is um, a very competitive spirit at all times. (laughs) All right. Well, that's it for this week with Freya's Free Practice Fridays. Thanks for to- for joining me, Tommy T. Nice to see you again. I'd forgotten what you looked like.
1: Yeah, nice to see you. I am alive. I, I just don't have WhatsApp. And on that... Who
0: are you? I'm not
1: an international do- superstar like yourself. <laughs> I don't I don't have all fun international friends. You're my international friend and I don't have WhatsApp, <laughs> unfortunately, so I probably should learn to use it. Uh if I do have to talk to someone overseas, it's usually just on Facebook Messenger. because uh, that's Because it's two thousand and three. Young kids use that instead of texting, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But no, I'm useless with WhatsApp and everyone's like, Have you got WhatsApp? I was like, No. But I do, but I just Maybe don't use
0: it. that's a hint. So yes, I maybe you should use WhatsApp. But, hey, I will happily take I know, I know. The, uh, the role of international friend and superstar. They're both things that I'm happy to be called by. You mm. can put it on my LinkedIn profile. Happy for that to be. That's uh, you. Yep, that, yep, that's me. Um, but great to have you <laughs> with us and we'll catch up soon. I don't know when. Um, but for no, no doubt we'll find a, yeah. a reason to chat about something in the next little while. We've heard from Tommy T and what <coughs> he has to say about – sorry. Sorry. <laughs>
1: sorry. It very I tried funny. to hit mute and, no, and I think I missed it. No, it was so
0: good though and it's staying in. Um, just for the listeners, Tommy just did an epic sneeze which required his entire arm to cover. <laughs>